Hello there and welcome to episode 93 of Right Where You're Sitting Now, an important number for some. Uh, and the number was so important that I had to bring back a, a fiend, a, a character <laughs> from the darkness. Uh, I, had to, I had to reach into the uh, the void, the abyss and pull him back into the uh, fold. Saturnian gloom. Yeah, the Saturnian gloom and find him. So welcome back, Mark Satir. Hello, it's, uh, hello everybody in uh, the, through the ether, echoing through the ether here. <laughs> so uh, um, uh, you're very welcome. And how have you been? Good, yes, excellent. Um, Join the uh, the untimely uh, heat wave. Yeah, the heat is uh, stifling to say the least, and uh, somewhat uncomfortable if you're not interested in wet heat. I'm, I'm more of a dry heat kind of guy. So I'm a blobby mess of sweat. And anyway, people don't want to hear about that. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> there's, there's horrors. There are horrors. <laughs> there are. <laughs> which are best, not even best left to the imagination. If you can see this room right now, Lovecraft would be proud. <laughs> trust me. <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> Your sanity. Your yeah. sanity will be surely taxed. <laughs> yeah. So we're back on track now with the episodes. There was a bit of a problem, as I said, in the last episode where every now and then real life kicks in and I have to earn money and um, twice a year there's there's an intense workload that kind of knocks me off doing the podcast for a week or so so we're, we're back in sync now um, and back to weekly again and we've come back with a with a bit of a, a corker haven't we this week who are we talking to this week Mr Satir? Well we're, we're very privileged and uh, fortunate to be able to um, access the thoughts and experiences of uh, Frato UD who will be familiar to some of you and um, wrote uh, Secrets of the German Sex Magicians amongst other things that's a book that's uh, pretty popular and uh, relates to our subject matter today it does indeed and um, the subject matter today is it's the uh, Brotherhood of Saturn otherwise known as the Fraternitas Atani so Saturn uh, I understand is on the uh, on the trend the, uh, the Saturn's <laughs> rising literally there's a there's a sort of uh, an excess of books so on the subject matter at the moment uh, so it's in people's psyche so the, the Saturnian um, current ray yes yeah. is, is on the on the on the on the rise which is interesting isn't it and in particular the, the fraternity of Saturni keep popping up in in books but also unfortunately in conspiracy theory so I think I think mm. we could talk a little bit about that today but uh, conspiracy fantasies yeah well, yeah yeah I think you probably are but there we go uh, yeah. we won't we, we won't linger too far with that that's, that's not yeah exactly but uh, yeah so we're talking about the, the the group they're kind of a I don't know if you call them a spin-off of the OTO they're not really are they they sort of began at the same time as the Crowley OTO no, no, they're a bit later actually, but they run sort of parallel to it. And yeah, they have parallel. unique features. Uh, like I say, this focus on the idea of Saturn, but also Uranus in sort of contrast. Mm. They have a much later, a much later planet, you know, in the in astrological terms, in terms of discovery. They're discovered in Slough, actually, um, uh, Herschel, as it was called at the time. So you always wondered why Slough existed. That, uh, it's, I often it's, wonder why Slough exists. It's, that, that's, <laughs> that's, that's integral to its karma. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, uh, the Slough is where the planet Uranus was first uh, identified. There's actually a, apparently there's a monument in some industrial estate in Slough <laughs> dedicated to it. No doubt on on like really powerful ley lines and oh, yeah, exactly. radiating radiating sort of uranium kind of an influence into the ether the atmosphere. Yeah. 
So yeah, Fratty D, someone that I've wanted to have on the show for quite a long time. He's very, very well read, very well written. I suppose. Oh you could yeah, say. and then that comes across very well. I think. He, yeah, he, yeah. He, he does. Yes, he's a, gives an excellent, very detailed, very thoughtful, and good humoured account of his um, his, uh, his his wit and wisdom. And what's interesting is from a non-German speaking point of view it's actually very hard to get information on the fraternity Society. the mm. only we, we have the Stefan Flowers book which is you know, was it Stephen Stephen or Stefan I never know which way you say it but mm. it's um, but yeah so that's our your only real meaty source yeah, of information yeah, on the yeah, fraternity yeah. Society, isn't it great so, value of, of great great values so. yeah yeah so anyway we're gonna talk to this is part one by the way of two episodes with Frater UD so uh, in this episode we're going to talk a lot about the the structure of, and the yeah, history of the fraternity, fraternity like how it came into existence and yeah. and the uh, you know the, how it works as a as a group yeah the lodge, then, the lodge the structure of the lodge mm-hmm. and the history of it and its connection to other cultural things like uh, Nosferatu and former groups like the Pansophical Society and uh, yeah yeah mm. so it's, it's a good episode this one it's very good um, and I think next episode we're going to be talking more about the magic of the Fraternity of Saturnia and yeah, the kind of the, the mysticism and the, yeah. the uh, you mm. know the, the inner workings of the yeah the, magical nitty-gritty of the uh, the brotherhood yeah, what do they do? What do they get up to? That kind of thing. Um, well, as, as much as he can tell us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, that's fair enough, isn't it? Yeah, but. I think so. But anyway, let's get over to Frater UD. Hey, Frater UD, thank you so much for coming on the show. Could you give us a brief biography of yourself, please? Well, hello, hello everyone, and thanks for inviting me. Well, biography to uh, make it short and painless. Uh, I was born in 1952 in Egypt, uh, my father being with the uh, German diplomatic service. That's why I grew up in uh, in Egypt, uh, then later Germany, then uh, Sudan and Pakistan, and after that, Germany again. And... Uh, occultism or esotericism or whatever you want to call it uh, uh, came to me fairly early at the age of no, about nine when my when I had an uncle who was very much about yoga he just discovered it and uh, and uh, he was raving about it and so that got me interested and and uh, then I started off with that and some self-hypnosis or auto-hypnosis and stuff like that. And that's what got me hooked on the uh, on the subject. I uh, focused more or less on Eastern philosophies and religions uh, for the better part of 10 years or so before I actually discovered uh, Western, the Western tradition, uh, especially magic. Uh, foremost, uh, Alistair Crowley to start with, The Golden Dawn, and then Austin Osmond's Fair. Well, and then I've been at it ever since. <laughs> and so a lot of people seem to discover or, you know, sort of use Crowley as a gateway into uh, the occult, don't they, or into, into Western esotericism in particular. Yeah, well, uh, I, st- I studied uh, at that time English literature and comparative literature and Portuguese literature at the University of Bonn in Germany. And I was looking actually at the, the subject for my planned uh, dissertation, and uh, 
uh, being interested in the occult and being fairly active already, uh, uh, well, I came up with a subject and that, of course, gave me, uh, you might say, a pretext or permission uh, when I came over to London and visited Ford's bookshop and they had just replenished their entire stock of Crowley literature. And so, <laughs> so I bought it all. And uh, because now I had this pretext that I was actually working on my doctor's thesis. And uh, that's what really got me rolling. And you became quite, um, you were very involved with the kind of early days of chaos magic as well, weren't you? Well, that is true. I mean, uh, the uh, IoT had been a more as virtual uh, uh, kind of um, organization up to that point. And when... Peter Carroll and I finally got in touch. I had published this uh, live and all in German uh, before without his permission because I couldn't get it because he was traveling the world at the time and and I couldn't get in contact. So he wrote me a rather uh, enervated letter when he on his return to, to England uh, uh, saying that I had um, pirated his book, which was technically true, but I d- did have a have a um, um, and a note in, uh, on the cover of the book that uh, copyright holders would, should please uh, contact me and we'd settle, which we did. And he came over to Berlin then and uh, my invitation. And, uh, well, some months later, we actually uh, hit, it, hit off our first mutual magic seminar in the Rhineland, in, not in Berlin, but uh, near Bonn. And uh, that is where the uh, magical pact of the Illuminates of Thanatros was formally founded then. And so I was very much involved with that in the early years, that's true. And is the IOT, is it still active in that in Germany, in that part of the world? Or? I have no idea, because after that infamous uh, so-called ice magic war, which is basically an inter- in- invention of Mr. Carroll, but never mind, uh, I uh, I didn't have any contact anymore, so I I'm not really aware of uh, of the current state of affairs of the IoT. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm fascinated to uh, to sort of hear your side. I mean, I've heard something about it, so I come from complete ignorance in that respect. But um, I I'd be intrigued because the ice was something I've heard about. So what what exactly was that? I know, I know. Well, I uh... if it was anything. <laughs> well, okay. Uh... <laughs> Well, it, that is not a very short story, I'm afraid, so, uh, but I won't bore you with too many details. Uh, well, anyway, uh, I was uh, head of the German section of, uh, of the IT at the time and uh, attached to the German sat- section were the satrapies of Austria and um, uh, Switzerland, which were not independent at the time, for, basically for lack of a, a first degree uh, hold or magus. Uh, uh, so pending pending people would uh, would actually uh, well make that degree. Then, uh, so I well, I announced that I was going to step down as a leader of the German section uh, within a year and. Um, as it happens, during that time, I met a fellow uh, who later, actually very soon after, became my, my uh, you might say, new teacher because uh, he was able to demonstrate a lot of uh, effects which were really more or less legendary. He was a, a German, an accomplished martial arts artist. 
And, uh, well, my idea was, of course, uh, that, you know, regarding and treating the IoT as a, as a forum of, of, you know, to present new ideas or new discoveries and so on, which I did accordingly. And uh, that did not uh, come over too well with uh, Peter Carroll. And to cut a long story short again, uh, what actually happened was that he kind of imagined that I was, uh, well, more or less uh, in cahoots with some uh, purportedly right-wing extremist uh, kind of super guru or whatever, trying to take over the IoT, which was a well, load of bollocks, if you pardon my French, <laughs> because uh, I had already, as I said, I'd already announced that I was going to step down, which I then did a year later, and uh, just as announced, uh, and as for right wing, uh, that that guy, that uh, teacher of mine, I mean, uh, if, if anything, he was of the extreme left persuasion, but uh, but never mind, Mister Carroll thought. Uh, really create a stink, which he accordingly did. And basically, uh, well, you know, he tried to excommunicate me and uh, quite a lot of other people who were with me whose names he didn't even know. So uh, I received a letter of communication address to Ralph and ladies uh, (laughs) and stuff like that. Uh, It it was all rather pathetic. Uh, He was in a pretty bad shape at that time uh, on a psychological level. And, and, uh, well, well, push came to shove, and at the end, there were so many people disgusted with that. We actually set up a schism, the uh, revolutionary IoT or riot, uh, which uh, and about eighty percent of the uh, IoT's members left the pact and uh, subscribed to riot, uh, which was not my intention at all, but. But uh, Carol had left me no choice. Uh, Ice magic was because what I le- had learned from that that guy I mentioned, uh, I gave that the name Ice Magic. It wasn't his name, but uh, but it was an accord with him. I mean, he was, uh, he was okay with it. And uh, that's how uh, Mr. Carroll imagined that I was, I don't know what, uh, doing some, some, some nasty black magic stuff against him or whatever, which I didn't. Uh, and if I had, he wouldn't have survived it. But, uh, <laughs> but never mind. So that is basically how the how the IoT split apart. Okay, thank you, sir. Your your grasp of the English language is impeccable, by the way. Just, uh, <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Uh, well, I still have a, a a bit of a German accent, but but that'll um, last, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> we won't hold that against you. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> so when you left the IoT, did you? Um... Did you go straight into the FS, or did you? Um, sorry, I should say. Oh no, I'd, I'd been a member of the FS for for many years then. Or, sir, I, I, I must look it up again. I'm very bad at dates. Uh, I must have been a mem- must have been a member of the FS for something like better part of 40, 40 or forty four years now. No, I, w- I was a member of the FS at that at that time already. Uh, the FS had nothing to do with uh, with that whole uh, matter. Actually, yes, there were quite a few FS members who were also members of the of the uh, TACT IoT. And uh, as far as I'm informed, uh, a few of the a few of uh, a few FS members are still at least officially members of the IoT or what's left of it, I don't know, but um, but those uh, well platforms were totally unrelated. Mm. 
Um, out of interest, why did you join the uh, FS and not something like the ATO? Uh, for one, I was invited, actually. The then time uh, Grandmaster of the FS approached me. I mean, I was kind of well-known in the OL, uh, very minute, magical scene of Germany or the German-speaking countries at the time uh, through some articles I'd written and so on. And uh, the then time Grandmaster, uh, who is still a member and... Um, a good friend of mine approached me and asked me to join and uh, because uh, the FS had been through some rather rough patches uh, before and uh, he hoped for some, you know, new influx, new blood. <laughs> and, uh, well, uh, what he presented and actually convinced me. And uh, so I actually did join and uh, uh, became a lifetime member. And uh, not the OTO, because at that time, uh, well, hey, you had you really had to count your OTOs. I mean, uh, uh, you know, there was the, the Cadiford OTO, <clears throat> on, with whom I was on pretty good terms as a kind of, you know, corresponding with a few members like uh, um, um, Bill Heydrich and others. And... Uh, uh, but there was also, you know, the, the Swiss OTO, there was the Typhonian OTO, there was Motas uh, OTOA, uh, and so on and so forth. And and uh, frankly, I wasn't uh, really too, uh, um, let's say, convinced to join a new form of religion, which I think the OTO essentially is, and uh, call it Crowleyanity or whatever, but um, uh, that wasn't really my cup of tea. Okay. Um, I was the um, you were talking a little bit about the kind of German scene, but it, kind of outside of Germany, that scene is kind of, kind of quite legendary. <laughs> it seemed to be, especially around the kind of time of the um, the kind of uh, forming of the Fraternitas Attorney, but also after that, it always seems that Germany is this kind of thriving kind of hub of uh, of occultism. But is that is that oh, not the case? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, that's the, you know, uh, as they say in Texas, an expert is someone who comes from more than 200 miles away. And uh, it's, it's very much a kind of sort of projection, really. I mean, uh, from an insider's view as, as a German, uh, I mean, uh, uh, it may not be that glamorous and uh, and great or look look as you know uh, great as it might seem from the outside yes i mean there was quite a lot of german uh, occultism involved and hey even the golden dawn at least claimed to be of uh, uh, of german origin even though that was a fake but uh, but why would you fake something like that unless you thought uh, that those would uh, would really uh, come come over well with the punters uh, which it did and uh, yes there was an active uh, German scene the OTO was originally a, well an Austro-German uh, um, order initially and um, um, but uh, well the time I'm talking about uh, now that it's uh, you know the let's say German, Germany or the German-speaking countries from, let's say, the, the 70s through the 90s, uh, there was hardly an organized scene. I mean, there were orders, you know, magical brotherhoods and stuff like that uh, uh, around, yes, and uh, there had been a schism within the uh, Fraternitas Attorney, which uh, became the Ordo Saturni and... 
but uh, generally the, the German uh, magical scene was more or less non-existent. There were, there were plenty of people interested in magic, but they weren't organized in, in any major way, not like in England, for instance. And then um, when... Uh, uh, we had this, uh, well, I've, I set up an occult bookshop with uh, two friends of mine in, in Bonn in 1979. And that became a kind of a local center. Uh, we also set up a, an experiment, a, a workshop for uh, experimental magic in Bonn. And from that evolved uh, a mag, uh, which uh, Unicorn magazine, uh, which was published throughout the German-speaking uh, world and uh, was rather successful. And that was really something which served as a magnet for to to quite a kind of recreate a German scene of sorts. And um, but that only lasted for thirteen issues and. Uh, and uh, so, yes, yes and no. I mean, this Germany is a fairly large country. I mean, it's a fairly large people. Plus, if you count Austria and the German-speaking part of Switzerland as well, I mean, we're talking something like uh, almost 100 million people. So, uh, yeah, there's bound to be some some nuts like us <laughs> involved in occultism and magic and what have you. It is interesting um, how kind of magic moves. The sort of like um, the kind of culture of magic seems to move around, doesn't it? I mean, it was very big in England for a while. It seems like it was big in Germany for a while. It seems to be in America at the moment. It seems to be the uh, the kind of hub for occult occult activity these days. Or at least for it seems to be a lot of occult writers coming out of there, and a lot and the groups there seem to be a lot larger. I agree. I agree. America. I mean, America used to be kind of a no name on the on the. Um, you know, international magic map for a quite a long time, uh, with a few exceptions. I mean, like uh, Paschal uh, Beverly Randolph, maybe, or Israel Rigardi, of course, and uh, and some others. But uh, but uh, yes, that changed uh, very much, uh, uh, in, especially in the recent decades. And uh, uh, as for England, and uh, you know, in the seventies, uh, we were actually looking to England for. Uh, uh, for you know, magical authors because uh, there had been a lot of stuff pre-war uh, in German, but uh, most of the stuff was really very, I mean, really stuffy, you know, old and 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 uh, kind of dogmatic, and uh, there's quite a lot of what we consider to be fresh spirit. Our Bond, you know, coming from the UK, our Bond group. Uh, most of those people, uh, members of that, were, were really very much informed by British authors rather than German at the time. And does the, the, the fraternity, the society, is it, does it have a foothold in America at all? Is, it, does, is there a body there? No, there isn't. And uh, currently the fraternity only, only, is only present uh, in uh, Germany, Switzerland and Austria. And it's been, th been like that for, for quite a while. Uh, in the past, there have been some abortive attempts to set something up once in Canada and uh, in Brazil even. But uh, no, the problem being that, uh, the, I mean, it has, it has a lot of, well, let, let's, let's take publications. Uh, it has a lot of published material. Uh, and I mean, uh, you know, basically boatloads of it. And uh, uh, 
the problem is that we it's not that we wouldn't accept people who you know coming from an english speaking country or other countries uh, for that matter uh, that's not that's not the issue at all it's just that we don't have the personnel to actually attend to it i mean all this stuff would have to be translated for one thing uh, which is not a uh, an easy task and i mean having worked as a professional translator for for several decades myself i think i know, <laughs> I know what i'm talking about uh, plus uh, it's not just the translating books books and and, and and scripts and stuff it's uh, it's actually you know you have to have to be have people who are well well versed in german for one thing and uh, and in whatever other native language uh, this is supposed to uh, uh, to run in and uh, there's simply not enough personnel to uh, to deal with it, and uh, so we we get a lot of inquiries uh, from the English-speaking world, but uh, regrettably, the best we can do is tell those people, well, "Hey, sorry, but it's not nothing chauvinistic about it. But you'll have to learn German, otherwise, we can't we can't help you." Yeah, I mean, there's definitely an appetite in in the UK for it. Certainly, mm-hmm. I mean the. The, the book uh, in it um, I mean I bought the original one and the, and the latest one with the, your... Steph, the Stephen Flowers but yeah yeah, yeah. The, yes, the, yes, the, yes the, the, I wrote the, the I, I wrote the introduction yes, uh, forward forward to the to the second edition yeah that's right yeah, excellent and an excellent introduction that is my I may add and uh, well, yeah I mean <laughs> I mean uh, yeah it is the now it's the definitive uh, text for it I would say and uh, yeah I mean I, I fell upon it you know with relish because there's there's so little it's so scant. In well, I, I have some good news for that because in a couple of years' time we'll have our centenary and uh, we're planning. Uh, I'll be the editor in chief of that. We're planning a centenary book with a lot of news, new material. I mean, the problem with uh, with uh, uh, Stephen's book is, I mean, as as he is the first to acknowledge, is that uh, at all everything he says about the fraternity's attorney there is until about 1970 and a lot has changed since then but uh, well that's insider stuff and what we pre- what we'll do is we'll present some some uh, uh, well new insights into what the current current state of the fraternity's attorney actually is and we're planning to uh, well we'll publish it in german of course and uh, we're actually planning to publish it in english as well oh, uh, but but that'll That'll still take a, a couple of years till uh, till it comes to pass, I'm afraid. But still, uh, we're working on it. <laughs> well, I will fall on. I will fall with relish upon that. I, I, I can assure <laughs> you. Um, do you think at the moment um, I've noticed in the kind of conspiracy sphere that the FS seems to be getting mentioned a lot? Um, and I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's because there's a kind of more of a a trend within conspiracy towards the occult at the moment um or, or but i actually have a theory and i think it might just be because it's in german like you said and a, a lot of these conspiracy guys are american and just haven't you know their, their only point of access is the stefan flowers book so i wonder um have you come across any of this kind of conspiracy uh chatter uh, when it comes to the fraternitas attack actually not but but i'm on the other hand i'm not really surprised because in germany i mean this is uh, we're talking you know something like the 60s here uh there was a lot of uh, conspiracy stuff about the fs uh, being uh, propagated you know like us being a, a satanist order which we're not us uh, sacrificing children which we don't uh, us, uh, you know, uh, having uh, long sticky fingers with which, with which we we're touching our female uh, acolytes, which we don't. Uh, 
to some people to regret, but whatever. And uh, so it, this seems to come in, in you know, in, in cycles. And uh, I'm, I'm not aware of, uh, of any, um, well, conspiracy scenes, because I really tend to stand be standoffish uh, regarding that kind of shit to put it mildly and uh, but i'm not i'm not really surprised either because uh, when you don't really know stuff about some something uh, it makes it more mysterious and uh, so it's it's a lot easier to project whatever agenda you may have onto uh, uh, onto stuff like that like i mean there's a lot of conspiracy stuff going on about uh, about the russian occult scene for instance that's because most people don't know russian i mean it's so simple as that plus the political climate current day political climate is uh, very conducive to that as well so uh, but i i don't know what you are referring to precisely but as i said uh, um it's kind of what you you just mentioned there that it, it it seems to have been tagged by quite a few of these kind of conspiracy groups as like a kind of you know satanic left hand path kind of um uh you know like a kind of satanic group essentially like you said uh, which we know generally when you hear that it's probably not <laughs> you know? uh, no no not really i mean yeah. uh, well left, well left hand is another thing i mean that's mm. that's subject to definition isn't it i yeah. mean uh, everyone seems uh, to have a different definition of it it's interesting we uh, we just had um nicholas shrek on the other day and um he has a mm -hmm. very strong um interpretation of of left hand path but then we've had uh you know, other authors like Richard Gavin on, and his definition is very different, and Don Webb's uh, definition is completely is quite different. So, I would actually be quite interested in your definition of the left hand path. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm gonna one day I'm gonna gather all of these into like a kind of um, <laughs> like yeah, a definitive might, left hand path. It, it, it might make for an interesting book, actually. Yeah. You know, uh, the West's left hand paths, yeah, plural, yeah. of course. Uh, because I mean, uh, yeah. I was uh, pretty much involved in Tantra for quite a while, and that was uh, long ago. And uh, I mean, I'm talking Indian Tantra uh, here, Hindu Tantra, really, not uh, not the uh, the Tibetan kind so much. And um, so, my view of left and right hand is uh, very much informed by that. Uh, uh, well, kind of problematic dichotomy really i mean uh, it's 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 not that unambiguous even within an indian indian uh, cultural context so uh uh but i tend to you know i i, I tend to agree with uh, with don in uh, don webb when he says that well the right hand pause is more about you know the spiritual uh, uh the spiritual self or uh, spiritual existence whereas the uh, left hand path is more about individual um and worldly uh approaches that is one it's it's not the it's not an eastern definition to be sure but uh but uh, what it does cover is uh, the left-hand aspect of antinomianism, for instance, that it's uh, antinomian in the sense of, uh, you know, breaking taboos and using that breakage of taboos as a, as a, um, uh, a jumping board for trances and, and uh, all the kind of, kinds of uh, consciousness and spiritual or whatever experience and practical magic as well, yes. So uh, uh, it's 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 really become a kind of a of a blanket 
term and uh, just like Gnosis has. Uh, and um, so it's uh, it's a bit problematic. And uh, I personally, I would, uh, since you're asking me about my personal definition, I personally prefer to stick to the, to the old uh, uh, definition as uh, propagated within Hinduism or even, you know, Woodruff or people like that a uh, hundred years ago. Yeah, the, the sort of Kundalini writer. He's the one that, that most people, at the time, you know, identify with that, like the uh, the mm. fire serpent sort of traditions, like you say, in the yoga, the yoga Hindu tradition. Indeed, well. indeed, yoga, yoga, and tantra in the Hindu tradition, and uh, um, but. Um, I mean, uh, for for that matter, if you, if you take a more liberal approach to that definition, okay, then uh, most of Gnosticism. I mean, I'm talking of an you know antiquities Gnosticism, first to, through fourth or maybe fifth uh, uh, century uh, uh, CE, uh, might be considered to be a left hand path as well. But uh, I think most Gnostics would really have rejected that kind of kind of, uh, of view, but uh, no, that's just my opinion anyway. Yeah, I mean, all these things come, you know, all, all these things come from somewhere and they started off somewhere, but I suppose if it's a living tradition, it's a, we're, we're part here in, in the here and now of that as well. Who knows? In 100, 200 years, they might say, oh, yeah, this, what I mean is what they meant <laughs> now by the left hand Indeed, part. Indeed, yeah. In, yeah, the, yeah, in the West. And the, so even though we're part of a, that organic. Just, is it the same with, uh, with Satanism for that matter? I mean, until about the, let's say, well, 60s rather and, and you know LeVay maybe first church of satan and all that but then before that satanism was really considered to be just a kind of reverse catholicism you know the black mass where you where you'd say say the lord's prayer backwards and stuff like that or you have to have have to have to have a defrocked catholic priest uh to celebrate it you know that kind of stuff which which basically hails back to the 19th century uh and Satanism has, has evolved as a concept uh, quite considerably since then. I mean, LeVay may have triggered that, and uh, then, of course, as the Temple of Seth. And uh, so it's become quite a different uh, different uh, kind of um, of concept. It's interesting, because uh, Satan, Satanism, I was looking at a lot of the kind of history of the FS, um, and there's mm-hmm. a there's a group the uh, Adon is it Adonism or Adonism? Um, Adonism, Adonism, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's kind of, that almost has a a slightly well, it certainly has an anti kind of Christian uh, uh, bent to it, doesn't it? It's kind of uh, could you talk a bit about that because because uh, it's quite it seems to play a part in the history of the FS as well. Well, only only marginally, really. I mean. Uh, uh, it was a fairly short-lived affair, and uh, yeah, of course, Settler and and, uh, and Gregorius uh, were contemporaries. I'm not not sure they even met, but uh, but apart from from some literature, I, I don't think it was a very very big, um, certainly not a very influential movement. Uh, uh, except that, uh, in, in in the sense that, uh, that there's a chaos scene today, where where you'd have you know chaos magicians that doesn't have to boil down to IoT strictly. It could be a lot of other well organizations or individuals doing it, and it was very similar to that in, in uh, you know post World War One. Uh, the the German speaking world there, there was tons and tons of groups and sects and. 
and brotherhoods and orders and 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 some more short-lived some some uh, fairly constant the OTO obviously so it was a fairly constant one so was the FS when it was finally uh, founded uh, end of the 20s and um, uh, but Adenism really really never played a significant role and uh, it may have kind of informed uh, Gregorius to some extent but but uh, but it even then even in the early affairs it, it wasn't really mentioned a lot and uh, but uh, for for all uh, all I've said I mean let's face it the magical scene has always been fairly minute everywhere and so so there's bound to be some you know personnel overlap so for all I know, maybe in the early FS there were some people who were also Adonists or whatever, but uh, or, or vice versa. But um, um, I'm not really aware of any any significant uh, events I could uh, I could point you to uh, to uh, to actually address that question. Mm. In terms of the actual kind of belief systems of Adonism, what what, what uh, I, I saw, I've read a small amount about it, but do you? I mean, you might you probably have a bigger understanding of that, but I, from what I've read, the Adonis character is almost like a, a Satan character or a devil character. Um, uh, that and there seems to be like a whole pantheon of gods. And I was, do you uh, have you read anything about it? Um, I'm, I'm... I, I, you you might probably have read more about it than <laughs> I have actually. So so I, I couldn't for the life of me claim to be. Uh, uh, even a remote expert on it, uh, because uh, and yes, uh, someone you might want to ask about is David Beth of the Thyan Publishing, because uh, uh, he a couple of years ago he, he he published something to the effect that he'd been in contact with some Adonis uh, later on. I mean, there was obviously past. Uh, I mean, way. Or decades after the Second World War, but uh, for biographical reasons, but uh, but he might be able to tell you more about that. But uh, uh, no, I I really really couldn't tell you more than what you'd find in the odd uh, uh, encyclopedia of uh, of occultism or or whatever, uh, where if uh, Adonism is mentioned. It seemed that the. Um... In this in this sort of earlier phase, I mean the pre-FS phase, that a lot of like you said, there was a lot of overlap, but a lot of people seem to start, yeah, their own a lot of their own groups, and um, like yep. for, even uh, I can't remember which form founder member of the ATO it was, but even is it Royce? One of them, Royce, yeah. yeah, one of them had a um, he had like several orders that he was managing kind of before the ATO, and that's well, that was because Royce Royce was actually making a living of it. I mean, he was an opera singer for one. He was also a secret agent for the for the for the uh, first the Prussian and later on for the Imperial uh, German Secret Service, and uh, and uh, also he made a mint selling, uh, you know. Order charters and 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 uh, and uh, and titles and whatever. I mean, he sold the charter of the MMM to uh, to Rudolf Steiner. So uh, for a while, or well, technically, uh, Steiner was uh, was the head of the German OTO for a while. I mean, he didn't didn't really do much with it uh, as far as this uh, can be discerned. But uh, uh, that was what what Royce was about and. Uh, he later initiated Crowley into the OTO and uh, let him take it over. 
Uh, the FS itself, I mean, Gregorius was uh, was the secretary of the uh, uh, Panzofische Loge, as it was called, the Panzofic uh, Lodge, uh, which was fairly large. And uh, when, when Crowley uh, visited Germany and there was this infamous um, conference in Weimar where, where, where uh, Crowley demanded that uh, he would be recognized as the world savior and stuff like as Crowley would. Uh, uh, that, that's where a split occurred. And that, the, the major part of that split was Gregorius and a lot of others uh, shoving off to, to found the fraternity's attorney instead. Because while they would accept the law of the Lima, they wouldn't accept Crowleyanity. And uh, and and Crowley as boss, and so um, so, and after that, the the, the uh, Panzofic Lodge, as far as I know, really dissolved very soon after, and uh, didn't play any major role any longer. But uh, but quite a few people of that organization uh, joined the FS initially. And and my understanding, sir, there is that that the heart at the uh, the fraternity of Saturni is the is the sort of the, the Saturn current, but also it's sort of uh, married with the kind of uh, Uranian idea. That is true, yes. The FS uh, defines itself as a Saturnian-Uranian lodge, not not merely Saturnian. That's true. Yeah, and, and my primitive understanding, which you... I hope you will uh, correct me on is that so so you get Saturn is like the formative sort of uh, restrictive uh, current or notion and then the Uranus in, in contrast to that is the opposite it's uh, it's the expansive transcendental element of it maybe transcendental is the right word because that sounds a bit yeah, you're, you're dead right on that you're dead okay. right on that it's uh, primitive in the best sense I mean in the sense of uh, original and uh, and uh, not obfuscated by later speculations. That's essentially, that's essentially what it's about. I mean, the uh, FS uh, defines itself as, as a lodge whose task is to ring in the Uranian uh, Ian, uh, whether you'd call it the age of Aquarius or whatever, that's, an, that's another matter. But uh, um, but uh, but there is this dichotomy between, indeed, restrictive Saturn, you know, the dweller, on the threshold, you know, uh, within the ancient um, paradigm, you'd have the seven planets, and Saturn was the outermost planet. And beyond Saturn, uh, there was the Pleroma or whatever, and uh, or transcendence, and that's where where actually uh, Uranus rules. And uh, and uh, uh, so what uh, what the FS attempts is to uh, help its members uh, realize that kind of. Uh, uh, consciousness and uh, and get beyond the the, the, the strictures of the uh, uh, material or Saturnian world. And my understanding also is that the lit, sort of liturgical colours of the the brotherhood is a uh, black and green. Is that right? Well, that's that... true. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That's intriguing. That's intriguing. Well, one of the reasons why that's intriguing is um, in the very famous uh, Crowley self-portrait of himself, which he did towards the end of his. Life as the Magus of the Yin of Horus, the the robe he's wearing is black and it's edged with green. So well, I just thought that was like a little, well, not a little, but like a, an acknowledgement of that that element. Yes, but I'm not sure about the aesthetics uh, behind all that because um, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, uh, as you are aware, I mean, I don't have to tell you that there's been a lot of uh, speculations on colors and, and as well as numbers and stuff ever since the at least, well, uh, the 19th century, or actually far earlier, that really starts, well, way back in the Renaissance uh, already. And um, uh, I, I'm not sure whether that Green, color green Crowley uses matches the uh, fraternities was one, but uh, but uh, but it was it was it was kind of a, of, of a common thing, and you had of course a lot of color uh, symbolism within Freemasonry as well, which, which was fairly influential. I'm, I'm, and, the I'm, go- and the Golden Dawn. I'm speculating. I'm I, I I'm I'm you know I am speculating. I mean, in that particular uh, portrait, he the, the the dominant color is orange, and that relates to the sort of uh, Mercury hod, you know, as the kind of yeah, messenger yeah. of the god thing. Anyways, but I am I am speculating. So, but there we are. I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I'm kind of interested a bit. I don't know how much you know about it, but I've kind of always found the Pansophical Lodge quite interesting. I was wondering, could you talk a little bit about kind of what their kind of activities were and um, kind of why would Crowley have been so interested in them? Uh, because they were fairly large and uh, essentially, you might say, I mean, uh, this is a bit of a of a of a um, condensation, but you might say the Pansophic Lodge was more or less. Uh, a spin-off of uh, theosophy, with, you know, with, without the Blavatsky and and, and the Annie Besant and uh, and the, and Alice Bailey and the lead Peter uh, people, uh, it was also made ba- basically uh, kind of um, competitor to anthroposophy in a, in a way. Uh, but uh, as for its actual activities, I'm not really aware of a lot of that because uh, I haven't come to that yet to uh, to investigate. Um, uh, uh, this is a personal thing, really. Currently, I'm, I'm most strongly investigating Gnosis Gnosticism from antiquity to modernity. And so I still have a few centuries ahead until I <laughs> arrive at, at, uh, at really digging into into uh, the, the Pensophic uh, uh, stream. But, um, I mean, it wasn't, to make to, to be clear, it wasn't uh, half halfway as large as uh, was theosophy even at that time when i mean theosophy was very much in decline at that time already but uh, but still was still fairly strong and it's it's still ongoing isn't it so uh but um uh the situation especially after the first world war was was one i mean it was a big, big, big mix of, of utter national depression and dejection and, and uh, economic problems and, and this, that and the other. And then you had the Roaring Twenties where people, you know, basically funded by American capital, more or less, uh, uh, had, a, had a great time until everything crashed. And uh, during that uh, that period, I mean, there was a, a lot of things that happened. For example, the monarchy had gone, and not not just the German monarchy. I mean, um, lots of monarchies were, were suddenly no longer there. The map of Europe had changed. Um, Germany had lost the war. Uh, Austria, Hungary had lost the war. Uh, people were, uh, were were very much in in motion, you know, uh, spiritually as much as materially, and so this was a was a climate which was very open to uh, to any which new uh, 
movements, something which had started way before the First World War already, uh, suddenly blew up and expanded, like vegetarianism, for instance, <laughs> or uh, spir- spiritualism even. And um, actually, you had, you had quite, quite a similar development uh, in, in England at the time, or Britain. Uh, and um, I mean, the, everybody's looking, you know, you know, basically hypnotized at the Golden Dawn, but let's face it, the Golden Dawn, as influential and seminal as it was, wasn't really that big. I mean, uh, uh, if if my if memory serves, I think they had something like eight hundred members worldwide uh, at their in the heyday. Uh, that that's really it's really quite a quite a small organization, right? And um, and. Uh, it was, yeah. Of course, it was very influential. But why? Because, because their secrets were being spilled left, right, and center. First by Crowley, later by Rigardi, and people like that. And, uh, but, um, but you did have lots, of, lots of uh, the, the Golden Dawn itself was basically born out of a discontent with faith, um, theosophy, and uh, Freemasonry. As as were a lot of other orders, actually. So was the OTO. I mean, uh, those those people were usually involved. At least the male members were involved with in some way or another with Freemasonry, and were uh, discontented with uh, with what free, Freemasonry had had to offer. And so they tried to better it, and to, and to set up their new organizations. And this happened big time after the First World War in Europe. Uh, especially in the German-speaking uh, speaking world, uh, as far as I'm aware, I, I, I couldn't speak for Italy, for instance, so so much, or Spain, or Portugal, or Bulgaria, or whatever. Um, but um, but it was generally a, a, a very large, uh, expanding phenomenon, and uh, you had a lot of you know different organizations and cults and uh, more or less short-lived. People, people, uh, you know, some some stuff, some uh, gurus. Uh, most people have forgotten about, like Oom the Omnipotent, if you've ever heard of him. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, but uh, then you're a specialist, really, because <laughs> my, uh, my life in a love cult. Exactly that, that kind of stuff. <laughs> that wasn't a personal uh, but... confession. That was just a... <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that you. Does refer to something. People out there will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> if, if only, if only. <laughs> well, uh, so you know, there was people like that, and and uh, if you read uh, Crowley's Confessions, for for example, I mean, uh, it's it's it's, it's uh, quite an eye opener on that score. Um, more basically, mainly focused on the English-speaking world, but not only. And um, it's, it's 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 quite a source book for that kind of uh, of stuff. And uh, yes, the you know it's it's probably 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 uh, attached himself to to the uh, Pansophic Lodge also because they actually instigated contact with him in the first place. So basically, you know, uh, they called him over, and and uh, and they probably funded his uh, his coming, which is another matter. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, so and and if what Spence writes about uh, you know secret agent six 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 is true, and I'm inclined to believe at least most of it, uh, then of course he also had a, a, an intelligence agenda doing it. And I suppose with the Golden Door, and like you say, uh, relatively speaking, so, you know, small, I, it was very fortunate with the sort of 
the caliber of its members it's a bit like a band you know a bit like a i don't know like led zeppelin or something it's formed you know the the quality of its members was small but they if you think about the the cultural influence or the intellectual influence of these things they, they it's sort of, actually right and it's actually what for, what for example the Scientology church of scientology is aspiring to all the time you know get getting celebs uh, on board and uh oh what today we would call influences uh um and uh, yes, indeed. I mean, uh, there were quite quite a few prominent members, and uh, uh, and and of course, it was also uh, in though not openly, it was quite a political organization in its own right. Yeah, and 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 Yates and so on. They they had substance behind them. They they, you know, their influence was something to sort of reckon with. It, it, yeah, there were no dummies. I yeah, mean, exactly. uh, right, certainly yeah. not. Yeah, definitely not. And uh, and. Uh, Oh, and okay. So there, there were spin-offs of the Golden Dawn as well, and uh, and uh, well, some were short-lived. Most, most of them were short-lived. Some have been revived, or uh, there were attempts to revive them, and uh, some have have come to stay, like the OTO uh, in its various iterations, and um, and the Swiss OTO is, uh, to all practical purposes, dead now, but. But it was still still at least technically active until quite recently, and uh, the Caliphate of the OTO is of course uh, basically uh, cornered the market these days. But uh, but hey, no matter the OTO is still there, and uh, and so is the Fraternitas Attorney, and uh, so technically speaking, is uh, is uh, Theosophy. I'm kind of interested. Um, we we sort of mentioned it briefly earlier on uh, the wait is it Weida? is that how you pronounce the the name of the area Weida or wider 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 yes i think i think i said weimar but i meant wider yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's right um could we talk a little bit because this was quite a formative obviously very formative for the fs but um it's this is quite a a big um kind of meeting of people isn't it this this kind of conference or whatever it's called you know um when crody came over the, the um could we talk about a little bit about kind of what went down there and and how cause, and why that kind of um, spawned the uh, the fraternitas attorney? Uh, well, uh, well, in a nutshell, uh, what happened in Vida was that uh, a lot of rather influential uh, German uh, occultists met there with Crowley. Why? Because they had been apprised of Crowley's uh, book of the law and his law of Thelema, and uh, uh, they wanted to know more about it. Uh, Crowley was was still regarded as a well as an admirer, but a rather mysterious figure. You know, I mean. Let's face it, most of these people didn't know English uh, because at that time you didn't learn English at school. If you if you learned a foreign language, I mean, apart from Latin and maybe Greek, you had a you know, kind of classical uh, kind of uh, education, it would be would have been French and not uh, not English so much. So uh, so there was that uh, that issue. And, and uh, so uh, uh, Britain was very much a kind of, well, They'd been obviously they'd been uh, been, uh, been enemies during World War One and and uh, and and so on, but uh, it was still a very kind of a kind of mysterious uh, or exotic you might you might say uh, uh, kind of affair for for the Germans, and so there was this, there was this flamboyant uh, guy called Alistair Crowley who said he was the great beast and and. Uh, uh, the prophet of the new Ian and whatever. So they, they actually, basically what 
they, they wanted to know what it's all about. And so they invited him and his entourage and they came and, uh, and, uh, uh, basically I would say that, you know, from a, from a cynical point of view, he bested them all with his rhetorics and his flamboyant, uh, uh, way of uh, comporting himself and uh, and his uh, braggadocio and all that, and um, and so he convinced a lot of the members, but not all. A lot of the members that not only was an, the uh, law of Lima actually uh, a, a legit uh, kind of uh, of um, uh, revelation, uh, and uh, you know. Uh, uh, a salient and and uh, and uh, universal kind of uh, a new revelation which had to be adopted uh, by mankind uh, to further its uh, evolution and this that and the other you know the spiel and um, and of course in tandem that he Alistair Crowley was uh, was of course its uh, primary uh, um, well prophet or uh, and whatever. And uh, and he basically played that role fairly convincingly for too many lot of lot of people, and the Penzovian Penzovist Lodge uh, succumbed essentially, at least in parts. Uh, said, "All right, we will now accept Alistair Crowley as our uh, universal uh, prophet and uh, even savior, world savior, uh, and his law of uh, Thelema." But there was a dissensus there because uh, uh, Gregor Gregorius or Eugen Grosher, as his uh, you know civil name was at the time, he was uh, uh, who was the secretary of the Pansovic Lodge. Uh, he begged to differ. He said, "Okay, I'm, I'll accept the law of the Lima. I think that's a good thing. Uh, matches up with a lot of our own positions and this, that, and the other." But not this person, Alistair Crowley, as a prophet and as a guru and and, and a world savior and stuff. And we, I'm not, I'm certainly not going to go into subservience to that guy and his organization, basically the AA and the OTO was was more or less sidelined in that discussion, as far as I'm aware. Um, so, uh, so I'll set up something else, which was then uh, the uh, the fraternitas attorney, and a lot of members of the uh, Panzofic uh, Lodge, uh, well, followed him, and so there was basically essentially it was a schism, and uh, uh, which happened, and uh, so Crowley didn't really get his way because, uh, as I said, the Panzofic Lodge, very shortly after, uh, basically uh, dissolved. And uh, so it, it it wasn't it wasn't really uh, uh, a successful mission of Crowley's. Uh, interestingly enough, I mean concerning the FS, uh, the, it it wasn't a total break on the part of Gregorius. There are at least initially the FS, uh, you know, basically tooted its own horn, but by by. by Publishing letters which Gregorius had written to Crowley, for example, the FS uh, adopted Crowley's uh, formula of "Do what thou wilt shall be the fall of the law," and love is the law, love under will, but with an addition, "Midnight laws of Liebe," which translated into English is it's, it's quite a bit of an issue. In fact, translated literally would be "merciless love." 
but uh, that really sounds horrible in English, and it's not really what's meant. I would personally say it's it's more like uh, um, unsentimental love, which is which is, or, or or sober love, is, which is quite a different thing from um, being merciless about it. You know, yeah. but think, uh, I've heard it translated as compassionless love or, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, well, that, that's but that's like merciless, right? Isn't yeah. it? I mean, uh, yeah, like you know, say, it's lost love. In- love yeah, yeah, it has this. As I wrote in an article many years ago, it has this kind of uh, um, Belzinesque touch to it, which we really, really don't want to convey, especially not as just coming from a German uh, environment. Hey, but so that's that's why I would say uh, the, the the what's actually meant and and how it's being handled is actually an unsentimental love, uh, uh, a love under will. Anyway. Uh, but that formula was uh, was expanded by Gregorius, and and uh, to actually uh, you know uh, make sure that people would wouldn't object that this hey this was counter to what the master Therion, uh was telling the world, he published two letters which he had written to Gregor to uh, him Gregorius written to Crowley or so he said. Uh, as proof, which is which is kind of funny because there was never a reply. There was no reply published, and there was no, there is no reply by Crowley uh, uh, within the order's archives today, to this date. So, uh, so basically, there was, in in a way, this was a kind of a marketing trick. And where, with the compassionless or uh, what's it, unsentimental love, I mean, I, I remember reading something in Nietzsche about it's I, the translation i saw was compa- you, you got me thinking now that did i because it it was compassionless well it's got spot so, on because i mean hey how how much of the uh of the, the core message of the book of the law uh, isn't nietzsche there's, there's an element of it yeah yeah there's a flavor definitely totally totally it's uh uh Crowley was obsessed with Nietzsche, as were so as were very, very many of his contemporaries. I mean, uh, he wasn't alone in that. And uh, yeah, we know that. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and uh, so, so basically, uh, it's it's um, you might say uh, to, n- not the entire book of the law, because I mean, uh, there's a lot of you know uh, other stuff in there, obviously, which you won't find in Nietzsche. But as I said, the core message uh, is essentially a Nietzsche spin-off. Yeah, if you if you if you're generally interested in the, the thinking about the contents of the book of law, a good uh, you know place to start would be some of Nietzsche's ideas. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, anyway, that's uh, that's that's how it came about. And uh, uh, there's there's no indication that there was actually a two-way correspondence between Gregorius and uh, and Crowley ever after. And um, there was no uh, other other form of contact, as far as uh, uh, as I'm aware. Is this is, uh, you know uh, FS history uh, as of today. So I'm kind of interested um, before we because uh, I want to talk about Gregorius because he's a really fascinating character. But um, mm-hmm. the uh, prior to that, there was I, I'm always a bit confused about which groups this guy was a member of. But um, one of the you all know the name of the the chap that um, worked on Nosferatu. Uh, oh God! Uh, Adi Grau. Adi yeah, Grau. Grau. That was it. Yeah. What was his yeah. kind of? 
because he was part of the Weeder conference as well, wasn't he? And avoided conference. Yes, and he, and, uh, yes, and he joined and he joined the uh, the FS later on, and uh, he was quite a formative and uh, and uh, seminal uh, seminal member of the pre pre war. I'm talking World War Two here of the pre war uh, FS. That's important because uh, obviously under the Nazi regime, the FS was uh, was disbanded officially. Later on, Gregorius actually uh, was uh, was put in prison for a year, and um, it regrouped only after after the war. And uh, Alvin Grau wasn't part of that any longer. But uh, if you look at the um, at the uh, the the pre-war Saturn Moses uh, publication by the Fraternitas Attorney, uh, the the artwork there is uh, is all Alvin Grau's. Yeah, yeah, and and in the um, Nosferatu film, as you as you point out, sir, the uh, there's a whole page of well, there's quite a lot of occult references, Prana films. I mean, it's called Prana film made by yeah, Prana, Prana films. films yeah, 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 and then there's like the, the whole page uh, where there's a close-up of seals from the key of solomon which is from looks like mm-hmm, Mathis mm-hmm. one and so on like that so yeah. it is uh, still subject to discussion how active alvin grau actually was in the pre-war fs i mean he was a member no doubt about that a paying paid up member and and uh, uh, and so on but uh, but it's not quite entirely clear how how in how you know how much he re- actually participated in uh, in in events and so on, but he was a he was a quite a, I mean he was quite a prominent figure within especially within the movie world the German German movie world of the time, and um, and um, uh, but uh, and he, he published some 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 at least one article I'm aware of. Uh, and uh, in in Saturn Gnosis, and uh, but uh, but yeah, it was more of an aesthetic. I think it was more of an aesthetic uh, uh, influence than uh, than anything else. I was surprised. I mean, I think he died as late as nineteen seventy one. Is that right? Something like that. Is that could 19- be. Yeah, could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and did he join the OTO at some point after that in the in, in his later years? I'm not aware of the OTO. No, uh, you'd have to ask the OTO that. But uh, uh, but he wasn't. He certainly wasn't active in the in the in the uh, post-war FS anymore. Yeah, if you if you watch the uh, Shadow of the Vampire, I think film there's somebody there's a there's somebody playing there's an actor who's actor I can't I can't remember the name of the actor now but they, the actor who plays plays him in that. Yeah, it's interesting. He um I've just completely lost my train of thought there. Uh, oh yeah! Apparently, he um, also filmed some of the Vida uh, uh, conference, didn't he? And apparently, somewhere in some closet, maybe there's 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 footage of that. Is is that is that established or is that apocryphal? I'm not sure. I know it's in. I've I've read it in a couple of places, and but if 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 so, there's no, none of, none of that within the FS archive, as far as I'm aware. And and personally, I haven't seen any 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 footage uh, to that effect. What, that'd be an amazing find, wouldn't it? Because that'd be yeah, absolutely, <laughs> that'd be, absolutely. That would be amazing. I, said, I wouldn't put it. I wouldn't put it past him because I mean, uh, hey, he was a movie man after all. Yeah, I mean, I'm a filmmaker. I film everything. So <laughs> if he's anything like me, <laughs> See, then, yeah, right, yeah. Um, but yeah, so let's talk about Gregorius. Let's talk a little bit about his kind of, um, you know, his pre-FS and maybe sort of move move into the into his FS years as well. But let's start. Who was uh, Gregorius? What was his? Uh, what was his background, and you know the where, well, where did he come from? 
It's uh, it's actually interesting that uh, that there's there's not a lot of biographical uh, material available on uh, on Gregorius. I mean, he was born in Grosse, uh of more or less, you know, petit bourgeois descent. Uh, we know that he was politically active as a uh, socialist. Uh, is generally said he was more of a communist, really, initially, uh, or, uh, even later on. But that's another story. Um, he was. Uh, as a young man, he was still quite young at the time when he joined the Pensophic Lodge. And um, we have some uh, more or less autobiographical details of his uh, uh, in uh, in one novel, um, which hasn't been translated into English. Uh, uh, he um, uh, uh, didn't even publish in his lifetime, which was only the manuscript was already recovered uh, the same time like 20 or 25 years ago um but uh, he seems to have been uh, well very interested obviously in an a, a, a voracious reader of occult uh, material and um he uh, he was a brilliant networker and so he actually managed to get quite a few people on board this new order and uh, at that time um i would say uh, well Essentially, uh, the uh, the law of Lima played a, played a major role. Yes, but uh, more or less, as the, you might say, well, ideological basis of it all. But uh, but he was very interested in all kinds of stuff, ranging from astrology to uh, to uh, uh, you know all all kinds of occult disciplines. Uh, the tarot, maybe less so, but but a little bit of this, that, and the other. And uh, and a lot of, you know, mytholo- mythological speculations and... Uh, and um, uh, he, he, he also, pub- as I said, published uh, publicly stuff, but, uh, but uh, then came the Nazi period, uh, which initially... Well, they let they let they let him live and and other organizations as well until I think the hammer finally came down in thirty seven uh, when uh, when the fraternity Satoni, along with a lot of other occult groups uh, uh, were actually um, made illegal and and uh, closed down and uh, Gregorius went into exile. I mean. For political reasons, as much as, uh, as any, anything else, because as a as an avowed communist and socialist, uh, you weren't really uh, uh, that safe in Nazi Germany anymore at, at that time, and uh, so he went to Switzerland initially, and then for some reason nobody's ever to been able to fathom why uh, uh, he removed from Switzerland to Italy of all places. I mean, which was a fascist. A fascist country at the time, uh, and uh, was promptly extradited to Germany by the Italians. Uh, in Germany, he uh, he was imprisoned uh, in uh, well, what they termed euphemistically protective custody for about a year, and uh, then he was released uh, on the condition that he would publish uh, stuff. And so it's not quite clear what he actually did for a living at that time. Uh, uh, well, and then came then came the war's end, and uh, he re- he removed to to um, 
some place I, I don't I don't recall my memory doesn't serve the some place in in um, Eastern Germany what was the the Soviet zone of Eastern Germany it was that was before the German Democratic Republic and the Federal Republic of Germany West was uh, was uh, actually uh, founded where he became a cultural commissar which was basically a, a communist party kind of job. Uh, for a while, until they relegated him because of bourgeois tendencies, whatever that may mean, and um, upon which he uh, uh, he moved to uh, West Berlin, which of course was not under communist rule, and uh, that's where he stayed for the rest of his life. In West Berlin, he uh, set up uh, a bookshop, uh, the Inveha bookshop. I'm not quite sure. Uh, I think uh, he had uh, had a, a bookshop under that name before the war as well, but I'm not. Uh, you know, don't nail me, nail me on that one. I'd have to had to have to look it up. And uh, that bookshop really became uh, basically his, his his headquarters. Where he reestablished uh, the fraternity's attorney after he had reestablished contact with uh, with uh, many of his former members. Uh, and then he started from, I think, 1953, he started uh, publishing the Blätter für angewandte okkulte Lebenskunst, which uh, roughly translates as um, uh, papers on applied occult science of the art, or, or actually science of, science of life, or art of life, or life. You might say lifestyle. That was would be a more modern uh, way of putting it. Uh, this was a monthly magazine which was uh, open to the public uh, uh, for a fee, of course, and uh, which also contained, but that was restricted to members of the order. Um, some some folder which uh, which would uh, contain, uh, you know. Messages concerning the fraternity's attorney members, you know, like news who had been admitted would quit the uh, uh, the brotherhood, this, that, the, that, and the other. But that part, uh, that inlet, wasn't uh, wasn't part of the public uh, uh, magazine, and this continued for uh, some thirteen years. And uh, uh, as far as I'm aware, this is pro- probably the longest li- longest. Uh, uh, most voluminous uh, occult magazine uh, anywhere uh, to this date. And uh, um, it's been republished by the Fraternitas Attorney in various uh, formats in, in the course of uh, later decades. But anyway, he um, uh, made a living as a bookseller and uh, he was uh, very active uh, in organizing and expounding the Fraternitas Attorney. In the early fifties, there was uh, talk with the with Metzger of the Swiss OTO uh, of merging the two orders, the Fraternitas Attorney and the um, uh, Ordo Templi Orientis, well, Switzerland. The Caliphate OTO didn't exist at that time, and um, and. Um, in order to to facilitate and enable this, uh, actually the degree, degree structure of the fraternity's attorney was reformed uh, from a ten to a thirty three degree structure. Thirty three, I mean, like in Freemasonry, really, 
uh, although with different uh, contents. And uh, he introduced the 18th degree of the Gratus Pentalfe, uh, which was a, a, a working degree, not an honorary degree, meaning you had to actually work to, to actually attain to it. And that was supposed to be the gateway for members of the OTO to uh, when 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 the fusion had been effected. But it never actually came to that because Metzger and Gregorius fell out before that manifested. But the new order, the system of uh, the system of degrees and all that uh, was maintained to this very day. And uh, from that this very day on, the the fraternity's attorney still holds the claim that. The initiates of the 18th degree of the Gratus Pentalfe have the right to, uh, this was originally agreed to by Metzger at the time, uh, have the right to uh, form their own order Templi Orientis, uh, OTO, uh, at their pleasure, uh, which to my knowledge has only been uh, been actually affected once uh, by myself um, in the UK when, uh, when my friend David Rietti and and some of his uh, his people were uh, rejected or uh, thrown out of the Caliphate OTO. So I founded the OTO uh, Foundation based on that 18th degree um, qualification of mine and uh, handed it over to David. Mm, that's interesting. So uh, when we interviewed um, Michael Staley, uh, he, when I asked him like what was the future of the Typhonian order, he said um moving past kenneth grant and kind of developing i suppose would you say it's uh the same for the fraternitas attorney with gregorius would you say that they've uh that you, you your the orders kind of moved past gregorius now or or, or is there still a very strong kind of gregorial i just made a word up there <laughs> gregorial influence <laughs> um, well yes they're, they're, they're both actually both i mean uh, yes uh, gregorius still held in very high esteem on the one hand on the other hand, uh, this this being a far more critical age and people being far more educated and and uh, uh, educated in all in all uh, fields. I mean, uh, basic general education, scientific uh, education, cultural uh, education, but also occult education in terms of uh, you know. In the 50s or even 60s and 70s, it was actually quite hard to get hold of, uh, of a lot of occult literature, for instance, and, uh, and quite costly usually. And, uh, and um, this has changed a lot, and especially after the Internet uh, came about. But uh, uh, so these days, people view tend, within the order, within the universe, tend to have a very much more critical view of uh, Gregorius uh, uh, but he's still admired. He's still, uh, well, I would say revered. I mean, he doesn't hold a divine status or anything, which he never did and never wanted. But uh, but he's not being disavowed or anything. On the other hand, uh, the fraternity's attorney is, is quite interesting in that respect in general. Uh, it was never very original in his own right. And I'm not saying this, uh, this as a kind of a... Uh, uh, critical dissing of it. Uh, the principle of the of the fraternitas attorney, its attorney of its its modus operandi, is actually very much that of a sponge. It would take up stuff from outside and convert it in its own peculiar way, uh, reject some of it again, and uh, and convert it to its. Uh, 
and lend its, uh, its, its very own specific style and uh, interpretation. And uh, this has uh, been going on. It, 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 it happened in Gregorius' time. For example, when Karl Spiesberger joined the Fraternita Saturni, it was all about runes because Spiesberger was, was uh, you know, the Armanen Futhark and all that. Uh, that was what Spiesberger was mainly about and uh, influenced the early Fraternita Saturni quite a lot. Or uh, when Gregorius discovered Philo, uh, the uh, Berlin, Berlin astrologer, and his, um, his equal houses, uh, uh, astrology, uh, uh, he immediately adopted it and wanted to adopt it for for the Fraternitas Attorney as the official, you know, you might say dogma of astrology. That never came to pass because there was too many people around who were on a different astrological trajectory. But but that's just an example of, uh, of how things uh, have um, happened within the Fraternitas Attorney. There were uh, phases when uh, when Wicca was a major influence, uh, or at least to a lot of members of the Fraternitas Attorney, and uh, uh, so was Chaos Magic. Uh, so was, to some extent, uh, Ice Magic, in a way. And uh, so the Fraternitas Attorney has been shifting and changing uh, all the time, uh, but still holding on to a, a set of... Uh, of uh, well beliefs maybe, but that that's not the the issue really. But uh, you know, ritual, cultic uh, imagery and uh, symbols and so on, uh, and uh, very little has changed in that regard. So when people read Gregorius today, I mean, for example, they'll make they'll make fun about his uh, his view on women because that was very uh, you know uh, oh, well to put it very mildly old style hierarchical. Like uh, in one of his magical letters, he writes that, uh, you know, for divination, uh, let the magician uh, procure himself a medium, which obviously essentially meant a female medium, uh, and make her, make, make her it's actually uh, neutral in German, it, but never mind, uh, dependent on himself. I mean, this is you know the the old old style uh, kind of divination where basically something similar to John Dee really you know where you where you had the magus and, and the magus had someone functioning as a medium because the magus wasn't able to to get all these revelations himself, which is interesting enough because uh, the uh, FS on the other hand had been uh, fully uh, co-equal gender wise uh, right from the outset. And uh, uh, it actually was. I mean, uh, the, the number of female members was wasn't always, you know, fifty fifty. But uh, but they were there. And after Gregorius died, uh, the uh, the next grandmaster was actually uh, uh, a lady uh, who unfortunately died one and a half years later herself. But uh, but uh, but still, you had Gregorius's view of. Um, of uh, womankind wasn't uh, exactly progressive, to put it mildly. And I assume that's probably changed now then. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you couldn't come up with that kind of shit in the FS any longer. No, sir. <laughs> and, and, and that's a very, very good thing, in my view. Um, one thing, I mean, obviously, it's, it's a very striking image from the front of Stefan Flower's book, but the, the egregore sort of, I guess 
experiment, I guess, or working that happened. Early. Um, could you discuss it? Because a lot of people's image of the Fraternitas uh, Attorney is a, a bust, essentially, of an egregore, isn't it? Yes, um, that bust. Oh, yeah. There's actually <laughs> plenty of those busts, and uh, some are actually quite similar to the original <laughs> one. Most aren't. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, we, we've recently been having a discussion with that uh, because we, we want to uh, actually uh, uh, do some copies of, uh, of well, it's actually not the original, but it's uh, it's very close to the original. The original bust uh, has been has been lost. Uh, well, the Grigo and the bust. I mean, uh, the bust was actually crafted by uh, by a sister of, uh, of, of the lodge, um, I'm not quite sure when it was, uh, but uh, and it was then actually uh, uh, well infused ritually and so on with uh, with the Grigor of the uh, uh, of the fraternity's attorney. It's it's not so much as you mentioned an experiment, uh, and there's actually not a view within the FS that that the Grigor is something we actually we we, we proactively create. But uh, only in the sense that uh, that it has been created by the very existence and the continued life of the order, and that it's that it's there; it can be called upon, uh, and uh, and so on. And it actually sometimes it's uh, it's uh, called upon uh, in a ritual or cultic uh, context, but uh, but it's it's nothing like. Uh, let, let's do this to the Egregor and see how it pans out. And it's not that kind of uh, kind of handling the matter. And uh, the, the Egregor is also equated with the Gotos. I'm afraid of my vows of silence do not permit me to speak a lot about uh, or to the to the Gotos uh, thing. Read, read Stephen Flowers <laughs> on that is uh, more or less correct. And um, though not uh, comprehensive, but never mind. Uh, and uh, so within the FS, there's actually not a real great difference, differentiation being being conducted between the Gotos uh, and the uh, the Grigor. But the bust isn't really that critical. It's not that if we lost the bust today, we'd be uh, a miss of our Grigor. Not, not that at all. The Grigor is just... Uh, uh, Basically, the, the bust is used, you know, basically like you would you would use the bust of or a, a statue of Isis or Osiris or whoever, um, and uh, and uh, make it come alive by some kind of invocation or even evocation, technically. And uh, but you still wouldn't say, well, if that if that bust is or that uh, that figure or a statue is destroyed uh, in, a, in a fire or an earthquake or whatever. Uh, then, uh, then Isis is dead or something. You would say that, and it's basically very similar. Yeah, and the actually this the very striking bust. It, it, funny enough, it reminds me of the the, the stylized uh, portrait of Crowley that he did for himself. Uh, whenever I look at it, I always think, oh, I wonder if they had some. It's been influenced either way, but. Uh, Funny you're saying that because it never struck me as that. It's uh, it's uh, I've always. But okay, that's just me personally. I've always uh, kind of associated it with the with the Alvin Grau kind of aesthetics. Really, it, it, uh, initially, I personally, I, until I learned otherwise, I actually thought it had been uh, been made by Alvin Grau. But uh, but it wasn't. But 
but uh, I, I don't really see any 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 uh, crowdy connection. But uh, then again, it may only be me. I know I'm not sure. It, I'm not saying you're wrong or anything. It also looks quite a lot like Gregorius, doesn't it? <laughs> As well, when you see the two side by side. Um, yes, uh, that is uh, that has struck struck a few people, myself included. That, that's quite true. So, but but that same sister was aware of Gregorius, of course. I mean, she was uh, she was around at the, at the, during his time, and uh, so uh, that might have influenced it. What she claimed was that uh, that this was. Uh, uh, basically, uh, her manifestation of a vision she'd had. That's interesting. So, one thing I've kind of, I'm sort of unclear on, I suppose, um, is the fraternitas attorney degree structure. Um, I'd, I'd always read that instead of um, it, it being kind of invitational in terms of, like, you know, as you go up the degrees, you had to kind of prove a certain level of knowledge. Is that correct? Or am I. Um, wrong on that one well they're, they're, they're like like in freemasonry and actually the 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 33 degree structure as of the mid 50s uh uh, uh persistent to this day is actually very similar in many ways to the free the uh well established uh regular freemasonry um uh system um uh it distinguishes between honorary degrees and what we could uh, call Arbeitsgrade in German, which are based technically translated as working degrees. Uh, honorary degrees do not have to be worked for. They may be assigned. For example, there's one degree which, like, if if, if you if you're part of a of a temple and you're very active and helpful and and uh, during the course of your membership, and and the uh, the, the master of the chair thinks this should be kind of you know show some appreciation should be uh, should be shown that will be in order you might be assigned the that specific on the uh, honorary degree but that's nothing uh, you can claim uh, to to work for or uh, uh, or anything most of them aren't ever assigned uh, they're just there but uh, they're not just there as decoration that's uh, they're actually they they do have a certain meaning, but that's another story. I mean, like uh, in a kind of a evolutionary path, a linear linear evolutionary path, uh, which is uh, basically documented uh, or manifested uh, by these degrees. But the working degrees uh, now that's that's uh, what you're actually referring to. The first uh, working degree is the eighth or Gardus Mercuri, uh, meaning the Mercury grade, and that has actually has to be worked for, meaning that there's uh, uh, there's some exercises, uh, there's some questions you have to answer, there's uh, there's um, a paper you have to write on uh, on the topic to be agreed upon, uh, which will then be read by others and and, uh, and graded and so on, and uh, after all that has happened uh, and uh, uh, you're accepted, then you will be awarded that eighth degree. And uh, the next after that is uh, is the twelfth degree of Gradus Solis, and that is uh, that is the the, the first uh, master degree. That again has to be worked for. It usually takes some well some years uh, from uh, eighth degree to twelfth degree to uh, to accomplish. 
and uh, alongside with the uh, with the twelfth degree comes uh, an oath that you uh, that you will uh, stay with the fraternity's attorney for the duration of your life. And then after that, there is different other degrees. I'll just talk about one I've mentioned already, the 18th degree of Gradus Pentalfe, which focuses on, on the gnosis of uh, sexuality, sex magic, um, sex, uh, sex philosophy, and so on and so forth. And there is other, other degrees. Uh, I'm currently working on, on, on my, myself, working on, on the 25th degree, which is the Magister Gnosticus, uh, I've been working on it for about better part of six years now and uh, hope to be uh, more or less finished with that uh, by end of year. And, uh, and hopefully you will be assigned that degree uh, later on. Um, but um, that is essentially what it's about. Uh, the, master, the, 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 the degree of uh, neophyte, uh, before that, a novice, a neophyte, the, uh, the well, technically speaking, like in Freemasonry, you have the journeyman uh, degree of uh, Mercury, and then you have the master master degree starting from 12 upwards. And um, when I say a degree is assigned, uh, it's not really... Yeah, yeah, obviously a, a working degree. Uh, you have to prove that you have some knowledge of it, some some expertise, some practical experience relating to that specific degree. But on the other hand, uh, it is also uh, uh, agreed upon that once you've been assigned, let's say, degree number eight, uh, that people will expect you to then actually fill that degree with life. But they're not saying that, well, you know, you've got the eighth degree and, and you can, you know, just lie around and... Uh, and uh, and sleep it off, but uh, basically it says that uh, that the fraternity's attorney thinks that you are capable of actually filling that degree with life. So that that is a task which uh, which is never ending, of course. So uh, you can't really boast, you know, oh, well, I've accomplished this degree and that degree, blah, and that's it. Because uh, basically, you know, uh, as far as the FS is concerned, it only says, yeah, we've which we've, we've actually uh, confirmed that you're now capable of working within that degree and now do it. So there was um there was a there was a leak at some point, wasn't there, of the document of the kind of fraternity attorney um I guess degree structures and internal documents, I believe to a professor, uh, who then published them. The um bad guy, yeah. Yeah. Um, could we could we talk a little bit about that and yeah. and also yeah, about sure. and also about yeah. how that kind of had an effect on the FS after the leak because uh, I assume that, well, that, that, that was that was after Gregorius had died and after Roxanne his uh, successor uh, had died uh, then the fraternity's attorney fell upon well rather uh, motley times to put it mildly and. Um, there were schisms. There were inf there were infights. Uh, uh, there was actually uh, one phase in which the grandmaster of the uh, fraternity's attorney only held the eighth degree. He wasn't even a master, technically speaking. Because why? Because nobody else was there to do it, and uh, it was in a very bad shape. Hamburger himself was actually a professor of economics, and. Uh, uh, 
And obviously, a uh, uh, bit of a genius in terms of academic funding, because uh, what he then did, which was quite outside his uh, his realm of academic uh, uh, expertise and uh, and um, uh, activities, was uh, he. Uh, he got the Deutsche, Deutsche Forschungsgemeinschaft, which was which is practically at that time it was actually the 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 only really hugely uh, uh, important uh, funding institution within German academia, uh, with uh, you know millions and will millions of marks at their disposal at the time. Uh, he got them to 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 uh, to finance a project of his, which was I think it was ten or. Or fifteen, or something, uh, huge volumes, basically of photocopies of, of uh, you know, documents he basically bought or filched or whatever from various, you know, Masonic, pseudo Masonic, quasi Masonic uh, orders, uh, mainly within the German speaking uh, uh, realm, and he actually had contact with the then-time grandmaster of the Fraternitas Attorney, who called himself uh, Daniel, his uh, civil name was Walter, and uh, he managed to bribe him uh, to the extent that, by a curious coincidence, uh, there was a fire and half the order's archive was said to have been lost in that fire, only to turn up again in Hamburg's estate after <laughs> after he died, uh, and uh, and Walter was infamous for uh, well Hamburger, you know he had a certain specific view of uh, of uh, the fraternity's attorney, and uh, when he wanted something and wanted to prove something in one of his lectures, he also gave a lot of lectures, not within the university context, but privately on uh, on occult topics. Uh, uh, he's infamous for saying when, when, when someone asked him uh, about about a certain topic, he said, "Well, I'm not sure about that, but uh, uh, Daniel is, will will write me a ritual for that." So a lot of that leaked material, which uh, which was made public by Hamburger and other people filching it again from Hamburger or mainly photocopying him, uh, was actually uh, was actually fake. Was actually uh, paid for and delivered uh, that that uh, couple Hamburger and Walter. Uh, some of it was authentic, yes, and uh, Koenig has uh, also published a lot of that leaked material. But uh, and, and and that's basically a lot of what what Stephen Flowers' book is based on. But um, uh, you will notice uh, Flowers uh, as has publicly stated in his book and elsewhere. Uh, uh, whereas uh, Koenig doesn't state it as, uh, in, in as many words, but that's what what happened, is that all this stuff goes to till around 1970 when it suddenly ends. And so this is all pre, uh, pre let's say pre-70s uh, kind of uh, uh, leakage material. And not all of it, certainly not, but quite a bit of it uh, uh, was actually fabricated in order to uh, uh, to please the whimsy of Mr. Hemberger. Yeah. So, how did this uh, affect the actual fraternity attorney? Then, did, were the rituals awfully, awfully, 
Yeah, I, but... not, 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 the, not the leakage of the material as such, but uh, awfully in, in, the, in terms of the repercussions it had. I mean, you're all aware probably of, you know, this, this uh, cyclical reoccurring uh, and the occult uh, waves in the media and wherever, you know, uh, where, where they, they claim that, uh, you know, especially young people are being, you know, uh, being uh, coerced into into sex cults and satanic uh, uh, cults and this, that, and the other. This happens all over the place. It happens in the U.S., it happens in, in the U.K., it happened in Germany as well, in other countries, and it happened to the fraternity attorney as well. In the 60s, uh, there was, you know, this uh, hype about the fraternity attorney being a satanic uh, a cult, uh, doing blood rituals. Actually, Interestingly enough, there is one sex magical uh, ritual which Hemberger published. You know where where uh, a cock is being sacrificed over a, a, a naked woman on the altar. This is this is bullshit. Never, never happened. It was never FS material, but Walter sold it to Hemberger as being authentic fraternity uh, attorney material, and of course the. The media hopped on that ever and again, and uh, so that was terrible. And uh, a lot of people, you know, shied off that, uh, understandably. But uh, somehow, some way or another, the uh, the FS it, it never shut down. Not after the the Second World War, um, and um, so it 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 managed to survive and uh, to reinvigorate and reinvent itself. This feels a bit different now. I haven't done an outro in a long time because I've been doing all these by myself. So we're back with an outro. Um, so how did you find the interview with Frata UD? Excellent. Very comprehensive and good humoured. Uh, yes, uh, his mastery of the English language is better than mine. Oh, so. I was going to say better than most English people, British, well, British people. So. Know, yeah. I think so. It puts me to shame. So there we are. So, yeah. And uh, like I say, having access, a direct access to that is um, all that... Uh, that um, knowledge and experience there mm. is uh, is is uh, something of, of quality and value. I think that's a key thing, isn't it? He's he's clearly someone that's been through systems and um, mm. and mm. you know he's come out of it without becoming yeah. a morbid kind of you know or kind of massively egotistical kind of character, mm. which you often no. see happen, sadly. But um, don't get the impression. No, no. I don't. So that yeah, so excellent. Yeah, so it's a good uh, a good. Um, representation of the, the 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 brotherhood yeah definitely anyway if you want to keep up with what we're doing uh check us out on socials at sitting now um obviously follow us on youtube we've got content new content coming there that isn't part of the the audio podcast realm it's new new video content and also uh our new podcast a spin-off podcast an occasional podcast uh called the mauve zone um maybe out by the time this is out if not it'll be you know days within days of this one coming out so i'll put the that down the sitting now feed we might give it its own feed but um that's a podcast featuring myself david metcalf and joseph Maffini, um talking about high strangeness and the occult so uh it's more conversational it's not really an interview but if you're into this kind of stuff i think you'll enjoy it and yeah we'll be back next week with frater ud again and uh, i look forward to it